Our lesson today comes primarily from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28 reads like this. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Chapter 23, verse 10. Do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, the Mosaic law contains this rule. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. Deuteronomy 27, verse 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. Job 24, verse 2. Some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. There are some questions to consider about the concept of ancient landmarks. What does the Old Testament refer to when it mentions them? Is there a New Testament application? Why does it matter what the old ways, laws, customs, and traditions were anyway? I want to try to answer these questions in the lesson today, and in doing so I want to mention some principles and concepts that direct our minds and lifestyles to the ancient landmarks, which men of old have set. I really think that Deuteronomy 19 verse 14 should be our key verse, but 22, Proverbs 22 verse 28 with its emphatic command, do not remove, or as the King James says more simply and directly, remove not, in other words, do not touch leave them alone. We should not attempt to innovate. We should not come up with a better plan, a newfangled way. Folks, it simply doesn't matter if it causes hardship. It simply doesn't matter if it affects us personally or causes difficulty in our family. It must be God's way. It's true, sad but true. We live in a postmodern society that wants to be left alone. I was talking with a buddy of mine just a couple of days ago he told me about a study he recently had with a Roman Catholic lady. He had seen a short video of some friends marching, marching and worshiping some of their statues. He remarked on the comment section under the video that it was so sad to see people worshiping idols just like they used to do in the Old Testament. The lady said, we don't worship them. We venerate them. He apologized and remarked to me that the devil has deceived them with semantics. They changed the word, but the action is the same. The ensuing conversation proved that the, follow, the problem was far more serious than I first believed in that incident. After some back and forth, the conversation began to be about praying to the crucifix and saying the rosary. The dialogue ended when she said, if praying to the crucifix is wrong and saying the rosary is wrong, I don't want to be right. Too often, that same sentiment is found in some of us today. If it means giving up what I'm doing, whatever it is I like to do, I will be wrong before I am right. Another preacher friend of mine and I were talking and he told me that folks will listen to you as long as you are comforting them. You know, tickling their ears, building them up, helping them sort out their marriage problems telling them how awful the government is or how terrible the guy around the corner is. But when you start using the Bible to say with Naaman of old, thou art the man, Nathan of old, out comes the swords, the sabers begin to rattle, and the threats fall like hell from the stormy sky. Folks just aren't interested in the truth, like the Roman Catholic lady we just talked about. Folks aren't interested in eternity. They want to hear about a good time. God is rejected. 
God is forgotten, the church is neglected, and families are ruined. So God says in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Verse 28, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, gave them up, gave them over, to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitted. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, With all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason God will send them strong delusion that they would believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'm going to talk today about some things that brothers and sisters in the church often let slip by. Things that we were once on fire for. Truths that once mattered. And now maybe the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches have stolen those things away. There are two concepts that I want you to keep in mind as we discuss these things. I remember when we lived in Northeast Texas, I worked for a short time for Swan's Ice Cream Company. I drove those awful yellow trucks. Now this is not a job for a man with a family. It's not really a job for a man who wants to be a gospel preacher either. Times were hard. We were struggling and I thought the money that I would make would make things much better. They expect you to leave the warehouse at 8.30 or 9 each morning and be checked into your hotel no later, no earlier than midnight each night. Crazy long hours. Most weeks I'd leave the house early on Monday morning. I'd kiss my wife goodbye knowing that I'd not see her till late Friday night or early Saturday morning. She knew it too. And she would always tell me, remember whose you are. First couple of weeks, I thought she meant herself, and I thought it was cute, and I thought I was a little put out. Then it dawned on me. She was encouraging me to remember that I belonged to Jesus, not even claiming me for herself. She realized that I had been bought with a price too great for her to even comprehend, much less ever repay. I gotta say, those lonely hours and nights and that line helped me. Those lonely hours and nights in the service of the king, that line given to me by my faithful wife has encouraged me immensely. Remember who you are, whose you are. You ever heard the line? Secondly, have you ever heard the line, you're the only Bible some people will ever read? I wonder, I have to ask, how much Bible is your neighbor getting? How much Bible is your coworker getting? How much Bible is your best friend, your husband, your son, your daughter, your mother, your brother, your sister getting? Now, I haven't forgotten my topic today. I believe that there are some principles in our lives that serve as landmarks that demonstrate whose we are, who we are and whose we are. These landmarks will have eternal consequence on our life and on the lives of those around us. We keep those landmarks in place by remembering that we belong to Jesus Christ. Remembering that we influence everyone whom we come into contact with, friend or foe, close family or casual acquaintance. Many times the Bible talks of removing boundaries. Solomon, Solomon said emphatically, remove not the old landmark. A landmark was a thing that was considered 
sacred. That helped perpetuate family holdings and was used as a means of protection against deceit, error, and confusion. It might be a rock, a post, a metal state. Sometimes they get lost, misplaced, or obscured. When God sets a landmark in his word, that means that there's limitations. That means that there's restrictions. I have the right and the privilege to, remove, to move anywhere within a certain area of God's word. But I cannot tamper with it. I cannot change what was set. I can only move within the area or boundary set by God. That's why Paul encourages us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound works which you have heard from me, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Ancient landmark one. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness between husband and wife. Don't keep secrets. Never go to bed mad at each other. Always say I love you. Always show affection. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through, 20, through 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. To say that the landmark of marriage today and the home has been removed and attacked is a gross understatement. In many minds, the home is basically obliterated. Our political leaders are fond of saying things like it takes a village to raise a kid. No, it doesn't. It takes a mother and a father. Their faithfulness to each other. A mother and a father's faithfulness to each other will directly impact that kid for his or her entire life. And their kids, and their kids, and their kids. And it does the church as well. You don't outgrow divorce in a couple of years. Oh, the couple who separated may get over it, may learn to bury the hurt, but the children and the grands and the greats will suffer for generation. A society like ours where marriage is so trivial that it's hardly even a piece of paper can only take a major catastrophe. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God regarding His Word. David says in Psalm 119, 137, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Great peace have those who love your law, and call, nothing causes them to stumble. We're faithful to God's word by daily reading. I know sometimes we preachers get gung-ho and set the standard high. That's in hope because... We know that it includes and takes added effort to read the Word of God every day. It used to be that Campbellites were also known as walking Bibles. They were insulted if you called them a Campbellite. If you called them anything but a Christian. 
With the advent of smart tech today, we have no excuse to not read the Bible. Take those five or ten minutes of downtime that you'd spend on Facebook or playing some silly game and read a chapter or two. Most of us have multiple versions on whatever device we're holding in our hands or in our pockets right now. Faithfulness to God and His Word. Faithfulness to God and His church. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. People miss church today for the silliest of reasons. Trivial things will keep a person away. It is wrong to miss this Sunday morning assembly. It is sin. When you miss the Sunday morning assembly, if you don't have a God-ordained excuse, you need to make a confession. You need to make things right. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? I'm talking about faithfulness here. The story is told of J.R. Stewart, a gospel preacher a couple of generations ago who had hitchhiked miles and days to hold a gospel meeting at a little old congregation to be supported by only what he put in the collection. One day as he was hitchhiking home, he complained about it to the man who picked him up. Later at the Sulphur, Oklahoma annual meeting around July the 4th, he made a public confession and said he wished he hadn't done that because he wasn't able to sleep until he met with the saints the next Lord's Day in his home congregation to make things right. Because he was sorry, he regretted talking ugly about the church. How easy it is for us today to slip into the habit of destroying the church with our words. There's a crown waiting for us on the other side. But it's a crown for those who are faithful to God and faithful to His church. We've got to be careful when we talk among ourselves about church problems. I know they weigh us down. I know they tend to make us bitter. I've spent many a night weeping, crying myself to some small measure of sleep over church problems. We must resist. That's our brother for whom Christ died. Are our brethren sometimes wrong? Yes. But so are we. And we're still brethren. We have to remember that Jesus died for them. That makes them precious to him and precious to us. The scripture of old said, Remove not the ancient landmark of faithfulness. Let's be faithful to the Lord's church and not remove it by tearing our brother down. Ancient landmark number two, peace. Jesus says in the Beatitudes and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, a passage that I've had memorized since I was a little child. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Psalm 133 Oh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, 
For though the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Aaron was anointed when he would go into the Holy of Holies. The doer of Ramon made that mountain, that small hill in Judea, glisten and shine and glimmer, almost as if it's littered with diamonds in the sunlight. It made it beautiful. That's what unity does. Romans 14, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which we may edify one another. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Ephesians chapter 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, James chapter 3, verse 18, by those who make peace. Have you ever been around someone who just didn't get along with anybody? I have. I'm afraid there's been times when I've been that person. We all have someone whose personality we don't just quite mesh with. But there seems to be occasionally that one person we just, who just can't get along with anybody. I worked with a guy like that one time. He was mad all the time. Every day, all day, cussing, stomping, throwing things, yelling, screaming, constantly angry. No peace. No peace. Proverbs 29 verse 9 says, If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there's no peace. How about when it, this comes into the home? Ever been in a home where wickedness reigned? It usually doesn't take long. You get a sense of evil. A sense of hate, immorality, anger, malice. Paul says, let all these things be put away. Folks, mama can't be happy. Nobody can be happy in a home like this. In the church... In too many homes that should be a mirror image of the church, too often it's just full of bitter arguing, fussing, and fighting. Kids never see affection between their parents, never see kindness, never experience kindness. Kids are never apologized to, never told, I love you. But we're supposed to be a people of peace. Perhaps the homes in these cases are mirror images of the congregations that those homes belong to. I'm a huge proponent that the church of Christ, I'm talking about the family of Christians that assemble in a certain location is supposed to be a place that people want to attend. We can't help what happened yesterday, last year or in some other place or something five or six or seven or eight years ago. Here or somewhere else that may have hurt someone. But we can love that person that's been hurt. And we can demonstrate such tenderness and such kindness and such Christ-likeness to them that they will know that there is a hope and that there is a place that they can come back to. I've seen it too often. Someone gets into trouble. First thing we want to do is get that person in the corner and fight with them. Give them a good talking to. And then if they do it again, we cut them off. And we never forget. We never forget. I know a certain man who left the church and sold his wild oats in his 20s. 
when his mother, a faithful woman, was given six months after laying on her deathbed while he was still in his early 40s. He repented. And that man has been faithful ever since. Certain members of the congregation he's part of 40 plus years later still do not trust him. I know a young lady in her 30s with five boys by two men. She never married. Finally, after the last man beat her senseless and left her for dead, she quit her druggy lifestyle, obeyed the gospel. She has struggles. Certain members of her congregation have told me they expect her to disappear one of these days because they know the pull of drugs is too strong. When I'm talking about peace in the church, I want to stress that the church must be a place of forgiveness, a place where sinners can find shelter, a place of refuge from the raging storm of uncertainty and doubt and fear and hatred in the world today. The church is to be that place of safety. The church is to be a place of peace. That means the church minds its own business. I'm talking specifically to the membership and the leadership. I, we have a job to do. We don't have time to get involved in other people, other congregations' affairs. There's a big reason why. The Bible only speaks one earthly place of authority in the church, and that's in the local congregation. Ancient Landmark 3, worship. Attendance to worship, we've briefly talked about. Terry Osborne had it right in a lesson that I heard one time when he said, every time the church assembled, it is, assembles, it is high and holy. Even Wednesday night worship is a high and holy time, and we should be present and accounted for. When we must be absent from this congregation, from our congregation, know that our absence hurts. It's not casual. When we must be absent, we must be sure to be present in another congregation. There's five different modes of worship that we must be faithful to. Singing from the heart to voice, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Our singing is to be to one another and to the Lord. We make mistakes sometimes and think that we only sing to the Lord. It's not the case. When we pick songs, we should be careful to pick songs that we can all sing. And we should sing them in a manner that we can all sing. Our singing is not a competition. It's not a showcase. It's an opportunity to demonstrate our love for each other and our love for Christ. Praying comes with humility. Public prayers are not really the place for private needs. We are to pray for the brethren. We're to pray that the word not be hindered. We're to pray for the sick and afflicted, naming them sometimes. We're to pray in faith. Giving. Malachi says that Israel robbed God in tithes by not bringing their tithes and offerings to the storehouse. I know that the New Testament church is not commanded to tithe. But do we rob God? Have we got multiple raises in our job and our income? Do we have wealth that provides us a great house and a great place and we refuse to give generously to the Lord's church? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In other places, 
The Apostle Paul encourages them to give generously. I've heard of brethren who go on vacation and take some grape juice with them and make flour and water to make the loaf while at the lake or the cabin hunting or fishing. Question remains, what storehouse did they contribute to? It's supposed to be done on the first day of every week. The teaching is faithful teaching. 1 Peter 4 verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. The Lord's Supper, one cup and one loaf, one body, one blood, one New Testament. To do anything else is sin. First day of the week, Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. He revealed himself to the disciples on the same day. The disciples broke bread on the first day of the week, set in a binding example in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. The apostle gave a command to follow his example. And on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by in store. In conclusion to today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God?